Welcome to Do It For The Gram, an Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our communities. So this episode starts our series on subtypes. It's been a long time coming for sure, um, but I'm super excited to talk about subtypes. So before you listen to this episode, you're going to need to understand the instincts and the passion for your number. So if you haven't listened to the episodes before this one on instincts and passion, go ahead and check those out before you check this one out. Because in order to get a better understanding of what's happening in your subtype, you really need to know what's happening in your dominant instinct. And you need to understand what your passion of your number is. And they kind of range throughout your emotional patterns in life. So intro music, let's get it because we're about to get into it. Super excited to announce my new partnership with BetterHelp. This episode is actually sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are struggling, BetterHelp can help. You'll receive 10% off the first month when you sign on using betterhelp.com forward slash do it. So I'm super excited uh, about this partnership that me and BetterHelp have um, entered into because in this point where everything that we're doing right now to connect with people is more virtual, it is so important mental health. I think that aligns perfectly with things that we're trying to do, things that I want to do, and um, anybody that I would refer or think that could be potentially beneficial to the audience. And I think BetterHelp is definitely one of them. BetterHelp is basically, it's online counseling or therapy. So you're able to actually get some counseling or therapy, uh, depending on what's going on from licensed counselors and therapists around the country. And um, you get to be able to get some of that one-on-one mental checkup that you may need and BetterHelp is able to help you. So just go to betterhelp.com forward slash do it and you'll get a 10% discount for your first month. So what is a subtype? Subtypes, it is a type's passion and their instincts kind of multiply together. And they create this really interesting, very specific type of cocktail. So it's whatever your dominant instinct is combined with your passion. And so you also have a stack. So you have three instincts, which is social, sexual, and self-preservation, and they're all stacked in a certain way, meaning that they're ranked. So whatever the dominant one is, that means it's probably overactive. And whatever the repressed one is, that means it's probably underactive. And so the one in between is probably good. You probably utilize it in the right form, in the right way, in a healthier way. Then you can use your dominant and repressed one. So understanding the stack, why is it important to understand the subtypes and your stack? So it's very important to understand it because there's a deeper understanding to you and your Enneagram number when you understand your subtype stack and what your subtypes are. And it gives you clarity around growth for you as well. And so it also helps you to see that your individual growth as a certain number may look a tinge bit different than another person's growth as that number. And also this helps us realize that all numbers don't look the same. 
all numbers, all people who are eights don't look the same. And the subtype is a big reason for it. Okay. That's a huge reason for it. Some types look like counter, they're what called what we call counter types. And what that means is that they internally are have the same underpinning issues and struggles and challenges of all of that number, but on the surface, they respond to it differently. They respond in a counter way than the other two subtypes do. So understanding the stack a little bit better, if your dominant instinct is on top and it's this one, there's a message in it. So for instance, if you're self-preservation and it's your dominant one, you have this feeling instinctually that I'm always in danger. There's always fear there. And as a self-pressed person who's dominant in that instinct, it took me a while to realize that. But in so many situations, I literally feel like I am in danger just about all the time, no matter where I go. I'm always trying to make sure that I'm safe in some type of way. Then the next one is social. If social is your dominant instinct, then you feel that I am no one without a group and status. So for socially dominant types, it's very important to remember that you are more than a social group or status, but that's the over active sense in the social instinct. It's overly active. That instinct, if it's dominant, it's overly active. And so you have to be aware of that. If your instinct is dominant in the sexual, it means that I am no one without a significant other. And so it's very important for you to understand who is sexually dominant, that in order to be somebody, it's not just, it's that you are valuable regardless of who you're with, or regardless if you have a significant other with you or not. So you have to be aware of that. Remember, the instinct is overactive if it's your dominant one. We got to be aware of that. So if it's your bottom instinct, aka your repressed one in your stack, for self-preservation, it means my life is not important. So if you have a repressed center that is self-preservation, you have to watch out because that means that you don't treat yourself with the proper self-care because somewhere in your instincts, a lot of times unconsciously, you don't believe your life is that important. For social, it is, I don't trust others, groups, causes, the collective, and humanity. So if that's your repressed one, you have to watch out for that because there's a natural inclination not to trust any type of group or big cause or collective or humanity. So you have to watch out because it's underactive. It's not in a healthy place. It's only looking at all oh, these things are really bad, so I'm not going to join them and look at the negative sides of anything that could be collective or group effort. And then if your repressed center is sexual, then I am not interesting or attractive and intimate relationships may not be for me. So for those who have a sexual repressed center, in some type of way, they don't feel that intimate relationships are necessarily for them, possibly, and or they don't feel attractive and they just may not feel interested in it. So that is an issue. If your sexual instinct is repressed, that means that something is going on and it's not active as it should be making sure you engage in intimate one-on-one relationships in a healthy way. Let's go with the type two. So remember, the two's passion is pride. Remember, pride is this sense of inflation and deflation of oneself. And so this pride is a little tricky, especially for twos trying to figure out what it is because it somehow permeates so many different areas of their life that it's really hard to recognize unless you really start doing some inner work, how pride really just infiltrates its way all the way through a lot of different areas in your life. So majority of my information comes from Beatrice Chestnut and Uranio Pius, by the way of Claudia Naranjo. When the passion of pride, seduction entangles with the instinct of self-preservation, 
you get this merge with a material security need and needs for themselves. So the self-preservation to is actually the counter to not so much focus on helping outwardly to others, but their help is to make sure that you can take care of them. So the way that they do things is to find a way to use seduction in order to make sure that you can help them. And so seduction is an interesting word to use because I don't think we use it a lot necessarily in um, our common language. Well, in our language when we're talking about Enneagram stuff, but the two is seducing people, basically making themselves attractive to other people. And that's not always in like the way we may majority use seduction, not like a, a relational type of sensual type of way, but in a way that just makes that person look really cool to be around and entertaining and attractive and attention to them. So this one, they do things so that you can take care of them. So they seduce people by actually being childlike, which is really interesting. And so it's it's really interesting for the self-preservation too, because it can be hard for them to admit that this is their subtype and it can be hard to accept that this is their subtype. But they usually take the position as the child in the family even as they grow up a lot of times, and they seduce people with charm and friendliness. They have a way of being very charming and very friendly um, to be able to, um, a lot of times, get what they want out of situations, uh, just to be honest, and to get what they want slash need from uh, other people. And so they usually look young or have like a very youthful and like a cute or handsome type of appeal to them. It's always something that's kind of youthful or kid-like in a sense. They're usually very playful. Uh, very fun. As I said before, they also um, are usually quite attractive people. They do care and keep up with their looks in order to bring people in um, in different situations. And so unlike the other twos as well, this two usually likes to have a lot of good things for themselves, whereas some twos don't know what they need for the social and uh, the sexual. The self-pressed two doesn't have that much of an issue with getting what they actually do need. So they're a little different in that way. And that's one of the reasons they're also the counter type. Sometimes self-preservation tools will help and will give generously to others. But a lot of times they actually don't want to do it. Um, it's actually a lot of times they're giving in order to be taken care of somehow. Now, they do give to others and share, but usually it's to a smaller group. And that's usually for self-preservations in general. But um, especially for this one, the people that they do really help and they go over and beyond and they look like the typical two is usually for that small group of people that that two really, really um, has in their circle and really, really loves. And it's intimate people. So they have more of a small group mentality when it comes to that stereotypical version of their helping to the detriment of themselves. So this too, especially when it comes to pride, they probably experience pride the least out of the three subtypes of the Enneagram too. Doesn't mean they don't experience it and it doesn't, doesn't work, but like as in like the amount of it, they have the least amount they receive and go through and use pride the least out of the all three subtypes. And so this too also is very emotional. This is one thing about the suit. It's very emotional and they're actually very sensitive and they get hurt quite easily. And so this can be hard for a two to admit, especially for male twos. One of my mentors is a self-preservation two. And um, it's another kid that goes to my church. He's a self-preservation two. And he's had extremely rough life. You wouldn't even know he was a two. But these things are all a lot of, 
the different things that they encounter, but they are not able to show or express depending on the society and where they grew up in and how, and how he grew up and his family and everything. So it's really tough. Um, but these self-preservation tools are very sensitive and very emotional and they can see themselves as small and or big. And so they can fluctuate between both of them. And they kind of they can kind of look like fours at times, but then they also can look like self-preservation sixes as well. When the passion of pride and seduction entangles with the instinct of social, it turns the two into looking like the adult two. So this is a more very adult, very kind of um grown two. And you can kind of see this even in like social two dominant young kids, they are like, when we talk about the mother or the father aspect of the of the two, a lot of times they're talking about how the social two looks, the dominant looks to a lot of people because they take on the parental role in a sense. They are the power two and they are a lot of times leadership oriented. And so they look more like an eight because they bring more of a strong fierceness to themselves into different situations. And so they move into leadership pretty easily, especially the fact that they understand people very well. They're really hard workers. And so this can be another two that's hard. Like if you're in a leadership position and you hear the general description of the two, which is you're the helper and you do this and they categorize and stereotype it as a certain way. A lot of social twos don't necessarily see themselves that way, even though it's a part of them. It may not be the whole picture and it may not be dominant to them because these twos, like all twos, for the most part, when it comes to things, but this two is a really, really hard worker. They crush the things that they work for and they work extremely hard. And so this too does a whole lot, but wants to organize and kind of control other people's lives too much. That's the one thing that you definitely can see from this type of two. It's kind of a control thing. They really want to control other things, other people in their life. And so remember, it's the social dominant one, right? So they're looking at the group dynamics, the people and understanding those things. So one of the things they want to do is they want to manipulate from behind the scenes. The social two is probably the most manipulative um, of all the twos because they're doing things behind the scenes to make people not only like need them and want them, but also to kind of try to get what they want out of situations. This too is a social too. If you're dominant, you do have to be aware and not make and make sure that you're not being emotionally or just manipulative in general to get what you want out of situations. And so sometimes manipulation can work a good way, but a lot of times they are manipulating to get someone to not only like them, but also sometimes to support a cause, which in some instances, like for fundraising for good causes, actually can be a good thing. But you have to be careful because a lot of times the social dominant too, especially not healthy, can really be using that ability to manipulate just to have people just to like them. And that is not healthy at all. And so this too can actually look extremely generous on the outside. They can be giving, 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 but on the inside, they can actually be quite ruthless, to be honest. And on the outside, that's what people see, but on the inside is a whole different beast. And so you got to remember how the passion is working and how that instinct is working inside of the two. And so you have to be able to counteract both of them because when they mix together and get this subtype, you get this real interesting thing. And, I, and then before I keep going, I think twos are so interesting in the fact that when a lot of people read about it, uh, the Enneagram, and especially for either women in the South or women in like Westernized societies and cultures, if you're not on the spectrum of hardcore going against like, you know, standing up for craziness and people acting a fool, you may say, I think I like to be a two. And I get a lot of people saying, oh, I, I think I'm a two. I, I'm a helper. I'm a helper. 
And you have no clue what really goes on with twos. Like, no clue on the wonderful upsides and the wonderful downsides that they really have to work on as they face on a daily basis, based off like the archetype name and all this stuff. It is so much to the Enneagram too. And the surface is, it's so tricky. To me, the two is such interesting Enneagram type because on the surface, like what they could be doing and helping could actually be the opposite of what they need to be doing. It can look great on the surface, but underneath it be so wrong and be helping for the wrong reasons. And it's so interesting too, because usually these twos are like kind souls. Remember, a lot of times with self-praise, they look childlike in a sense. They're seductive. Like you kind of want to be around them and they're friendly, you know, to a certain degree on the outside when you first meet them. But then once you get to peel back those layers and find out who they are, there's a whole different real person of who they really are and the things they really want in life sometimes. So it's really interesting to me, the uh, Enneagram too. I think it's misunderstood a whole lot, just to be honest. Um, and gets taken for granted um, based on their type, but also based on people misunderstanding who twos uh, really are deep down. Does your workplace stink because the culture sucks? Are you tired of tolerating people and wish you could all work together cohesively? Does going to work give you instant anxiety? If you say yes to any one of these, you should probably quit your job. But since you aren't going to quit your job, you should call Kaizen Careers. At Kaizen Careers, we are all about improving personal and workplace performance. We use a unique tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram helps individuals and organizations become more self-aware. That self-awareness lends into helping organizations with communication, leadership, and conflict management, ultimately turning self-awareness into self-mastery and creating healthy workplace performance so you can improve your services and bottom line. You can reach Kaizen Careers at kaizencareers.com or 901-334-1644. When the passion of pride and seduction entangles with the instinct of sexual, you get a really strong classical type of seduction. So remember, remember the, the sexual one is very passionate. They communicate more through, through passion and through kind of a, a energy in a way. Remember, they usually have the most energy. The sexual dominant usually has the most energy towards that one-on-one -on -one person. And so when you mix this, the person who wants to be seductive along with trying to be super intimate like the sexual dominance, then you get a person who seduces their partners into relationships. And so, but they do that so they can get what they want and so they can hopefully get their needs met. And so it's tricky because in the sexual dominant two's mind, it's like, if I give you everything and I'd be the best partner in the world, then you'll give me whatever I want. And so this is like an unspoken expectation that sexual dominant twos have, but it isn't always, first of all, you got to realize what's going on. But then two, it isn't verbalized or communicated. And then three, you overly doing something, you're giving to get. And that's the one thing about the two, all twos, that's tricky. You're giving to get. Uh, many times. And so that is where the learning to unconditionally give is going to be so, so important. Learning to give with your left hand and not letting your right hand see it. Like these type of like things are going to be very important for two to be able to grow. So the archetype Claudia Naranjo said this to the sexual dominant two was actually the archetype for the vampire and not the vampires we see now, like Transylvania and all these different things. But the original vampires, like way back in the day, like the, the original thing was that they were very seductive. They were beautiful. They were handsome. They were attractive. They made, they really wanted to get there. But then once you got close to them, they sucked your blood. And so that's what Claudia Naranjo says. Not saying that people are here trying to suck blood or anything like that, but 
I'm just saying that that archetype was built off of the fact that I'm drawing you in in order to really to clamp you down and to clasp you really close and tight and just to get everything out of you so I can have it. So just an interesting kind of idea to think of. Um, but also this too gets angry if they don't get what they want. Now, remember the sexual dominant types, they are usually the most, our typical word, passionate about one-on-one relationships. So they have immense energy to go after them. And when it doesn't go right, they have also immense anger um, towards them. So same thing with this too. And so this too also has, is like an emotional roller coaster. They can be. And so they can have very high ups and very low downs. And so they can kind of be all over the place, especially when they spiral and they're not healthy taking care of themselves. And so for this too, they are trying to be the ideal lover. They are trying to be the best friend you ever had. And they usually make a lot of promises when it comes to like relationship type things with people. It's like, oh my goodness, we're going to be best friends. And it's like, you just met the person. But it's like, no, I don't think that's going to work like that. Like, I know you're trying, but I don't think that's it. So this too also does that. They're trying to be the ideal person in someone else's life so that that person will be the ideal person in their life. And so a lot of times what they do because of that, they overly give at the beginning of relationships. They give, they give, they give, and they give more, and they give a little bit more sexual dominant twos because they want this relationship to be strong and they want to get what they want out of it the most and everything. And so when they don't receive what they want back, not only are they mad, they're usually uh, infuriated. It's not just they're frustrated where like a non-emerging may be frustrated when there's separation or something doesn't work. The sexual dominant two is infuriated when They have overly given everything at the beginning of the relationship and then they're not receiving it back throughout the relationship. They begin to get very frustrated about this. And so you have to watch this. It's overly given at the beginning to try to woo a person in. And a lot of twos can give examples of that where they have shifted themselves or shifted different things that they do or the things that they like for another person or something that they do simply to get them to like them. And so you have to be aware and be careful of that and make sure you be yourself and not be them. And then also because these twos, they attach so hard and we know codependency is a thing for all twos as an issue for sure. But one of the things for the sexual dominant two, they have an extremely hard time when relationships break down or they end. It can be extremely hard for them because Not only do we have the codependency, not only do we have that, we have the sexual dominant instinct, which is trying to connect. So the value of this too is connected to that instinct of if I'm with somebody, someone, then I have value. But then also on top of that, you're a two. And so there's a codependent, like I have to help to feel valuable type issue. So when a relationship breaks down, it's literally going against that instinct and your Enneagram type. And so there's like a double whammy for the Enneagram too. And it's super hard for them. So when they, when a breakup happens, they can literally feel like they're worth nothing. And so you really have to be careful of this, uh, sexual dominant twos and people who have friends who are sexually dominant in twos, because you have to remember, not only do they have strong emotions and feelings, like literally when you talk about inside of your body, if you haven't worked on building yourself up, loving yourself, your self worth and growing your own inner work and Make sure you take care of your own needs. You can really feel, literally, I'm not talking emotions. I'm talking about sensations in the body like you're worth nothing. Like, so it's a really, really terrible feeling for a sexual dominant too once they get to this place. 
So if you are one, you have to work on making sure you don't get to that place. But then if you have a friend that's one, you have to be very supportive and be there with them to help them get through that phase for sure. Cause it's really hard for them. And so when they feel rejected, it's really, it really feel like they're suffering. And so it really is a sensation going on in their body and their emotions also are really hurt. So you have to really be careful and be weary of when that's happening, especially sexually dominant too. Hi, I'm super excited to tell you about a partnership I just joined in on. As an Enneagram coach, I understand the Enneagram helps in all different aspects of a person's life. A part of that journey can only be helped sometimes by someone outside of themselves, someone in the profession of counseling or therapy. So that's why I partnered with BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is basically a virtual way to contact and be in connection with counselors and therapists around the country. And at this time that we're going through socially being distant and a lot of being trapped in our houses or different things, even though it can be wonderful, a lot of times we may need to express something that's going on or things may be arising inside that we don't understand how to deal with. And so BetterHelp is a wonderful, affordable way to receive therapy and counseling in your home virtually. So if you are struggling, BetterHelp can help. You'll receive 10% off your first month when you sign on using betterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's D-O-I-T. So this information will be in the show notes, but this is a way if you do need some help, mental help and working through things, some emotional things, BetterHelp can definitely help. All right, so growth time. So the growth for the two, since it's pride, right? We want to get to humility. So for the self-preservation dominant two, one of the things that they can work on to kind of counteract their subtype is working with their own personal fear and ambivalence in relationships. So it's really interesting because this too is the countertype. They use their relationships only as a means to really get what they want out of them, which is super interesting because it's the counter type of the two, right? I'm helpful only to get what I really need out of it. And so one thing is really addressing the fear and ambivalence that they have going into relationships because it's super real. They have a lot of people who tend to care about them and who want to build bigger relationships or stronger friendships. But this too, because of the fear that they have, something that they're not owning, something that they have actually issues with, ambivalence to or something, something's going on that they need to address in order to move forward insecurities, these type of things need to be addressed so that they can actually be serious in their relationships and actually build a really helpful relationship. And it doesn't just start off really well, but then end in some weird, crazy way. And then you blame the other person, right? Because a lot of times this too, a lot of people want to build good relationships with them, but a lot of times they're not always there to make sure it's built really well. They're just kind of there to kind of get what they want. And then they just kind of roll out. So you just have to be aware of that um, most definitely. The next thing that this two can do is try to figure out why are they resisting growing up and being responsible for themselves? Like, what is there to keep you in the same mind frame of, I just need to make sure I can get this person to take care of me and do all of these different things. And I'm pretty sure these relationships have been seen on TV a lot of times, which is super interesting where they, it's like, a lot of times it's more portraying the man taking care of the woman and all these different things like this, but it works the other way too as well. And they're like, why do you keep taking care of him? All this type of things. And he's just chilling and doing maybe not as much as he needs to be doing or maybe nothing. But these relationships do happen 
with suppress too. So they have to be careful of that for sure. And so recognizing the fact that what is stopping you from maturing and growing up is going to be a huge deal. Because when you can recognize that, then you can start to deal with it. When you can start to deal with it. You can start making action steps to move forward. All right. For the social two, something to help you move to humility is to observe why do you need power and control? Because remember, the social dominant two is trying to control and manipulate a whole lot of different situations and mainly people, honestly, to move people like they need them to move or to get what they need um, from people or out of people. So you've got to figure out and observe like what's your need for power and how it operates in your life and what's it connected to deeper within your own self. Because there's some feelings that it's connected to that may have started from your childhood um, that may People say that like, you may be bossy or you're the this or miss this or Mr. That, but you've got to really address that in order to actually move towards humility. And then the next thing is, and it's so interesting, this is really for all twos, you got to learn how to receive as much as you give. There's this balance to life. There's this balance to a lot of different things going on in this world. And one of them is giving and getting, you know, receiving and giving. You have to be able to do both because when you throw the balance off, then there's something wrong inside of you if you're not able to give. There's something wrong inside of you if you're not able to get. And so you have to figure that out, what's really going on, so you can process that and learn to be better at receiving because it's actually going to give you humility. You're not the person who just gives because you're the person above people and you're better and you're the giver. Nobody would be able to do anything without you because you just give to them and help them. So what you want to do is be able to get and receive from other people. So figure out first, why in the world is it hard for you to receive things? But then also allow people to give to you, allow people the gift of being able to give to you as well, because that's super important and you're super important. So you have to remember that. All right. For the sexual dominant one, one of the things that they can do to move to humility is start to develop who you really are, start to become yourself. Look at different parts of you and start to find those unique things and start to create those boundaries for yourself that you don't have to have someone else to be valuable. You are already valuable as you are, as a person you were created point blank period. So you're going to have to start developing yourself of who you are and not who you are attached to, who you are like, the people that you want to be with, those type of things. Mm -mm. Find yourself, find you and create the you that you are best and present that person to the world, not the person who's trying to catch a mate, for instance. So make sure you're doing that. Take care of yourself. The next thing that the sexual can do in order to become more humble and find humility is you're going to have to be more aware of how you make connections. You're, you're going to have to start to pay attention of when you're giving too much at the beginning of a relationship because you're trying to get something back. And it's not necessarily for them. It's for you. The giving that you are doing is actually for you still. You're overly giving in order to for you to get. So you're going to have to manage that in a really healthy way so you don't end up in these relationships where you've given 130 percent. And the other person's giving like 10 and then you're upset, but you set the relationship up that way. So that's what you really have to be careful of. And that's for all twos. Be aware of how you set your relationships up, because a lot of times what happens is twos are good at setting them up at the beginning and making people like them. They're friendly. They're charming. All these great uh, attributes to bring people in and seduce them. The issue is that when you set up a relationship a certain way because you've been giving the whole time, 
If the other person isn't doing their own work and really, really invested in a relationship or friendship, then they're going to be used to the way that it's been. And so they're like, oh, this is just what I do and this is what they do. So you have to be really careful with the way you set a relationship because you want to set it up where you're both giving 100, 100, and you're both independent people coming together to make something beautiful, not half a person and half another person or a whole person and half a person that doesn't work out and you always end up frustrated or upset. So you want to make sure that you are gauging how you put your energy out when making friends, but also paying attention to how you are connecting with other people. It is super important to do that and how you set your relationships up um, because down the line, you don't want to be frustrated and, and either stuck in a relationship you don't want to be in and or you get separated from a relationship and you're like, oh my goodness, my life is over. But it was set up in such a weird, wonky way that the person was never giving or even meeting you halfway from the beginning. So it was a bad idea to keep furthering and entering that relationship. So make sure you gauge and manage that. That's going to be super important for twos. So that's all I really have for the rest of this episode. Uh, one more thing that I'm super excited about. There is the Enneagram Virtual Art Show. It's coming on June the 4th, and it's going to be 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be super cool. So I'm speaking at it. Wow. Like, I'm super excited. And I'm speaking behind Beatrice Chestnut. I'm super excited. I was super amazed that they asked me to be a speaker and then to open up for Beatrice Chestnut. And then we're going to do a virtual art museum. How amazing is that with Enneagram art? And the fact that you think about it, there's going to be not only great artists and there's going to be two amazing speakers, especially Beatrice Chestnut uh, and yours truly. But not only that, it's going to be able to donate to artists who are struggling with what's going on with the pandemic, right? Because there's a lot of struggle going on in a lot of different places, but we're able to actually help and donate and kind of help them out as well. So it's going to be a wonderful thing. It is actually free. Um, you can go to Eventbrite and look up virtual Enneagram Virtual Art Show. It's on Instagram. They have a page and I'm going to be posting it on my Instagram as well. Please show up. Please be there. Uh, I would love your support as I speak. I have no clue what I'm speaking on just yet. I have a few ideas as usual, but they have not come together yet. But I'm super excited for that. Besides that, um, remember, podcasting is not free. It costs podcasters to um, produce podcasts, but not listeners to listen. It's free for listeners. So if you would like to help support this podcast so I can keep continuing to pay my podcast editor without paying for it, which is great. You can go to patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram and become a patron supporter. You can donate a dollar. I mean, you can like support with a dollar up to whatever you can. Um, but I'm just super thankful if you're able to do that. Also, I'm on YouTube now. I'm trying to grow that audience. I am a super noob on YouTube and that is okay because that's how you start off. You just keep building till you get better. So I'm on YouTube. If you would subscribe, that would be totally awesome. That would be great. Very, very helpful. And then besides that, um, twos, if you feel pride is flaring up in your body, if you feel like you're going to do something to make it about you instead of about being unconditionally loving or giving to someone else, or you're not taking care of yourself, pause, take a deep breath and do it for the gram. Make a smarter choice and do it for the Enneagram. I'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one. Bye.